1: I've had the privilege of getting to interview so many wonderful people and getting to hear their experiences, their journeys and how they have transformed and triumphed over all kinds of things. Today is absolutely no different. Susan Johnson is joining us today. Susan graduated from Drake University with a BA in sociology. Since her diagnosis of bipolar 1 in 1995, Susan's true passion in life is to help break the stigma of living with a mental illness and bring hope to those living with one. Susan is the author of Some Dreams Are Worth Keeping, a memoir of my bipolar journey. She's an accomplished inspirational speaker. She gave a TEDx talk titled, Having a Mental Illness is Not a Death Sentence. She is a guest blogger for a mental health magazine. She received the award for Best Blogger for Healthline.com in 2017 and appeared in the 2018 This Is Me article in BP Hope magazine. Susan's writing also appears in The Catholic Exchange. She co-leads a mental health group at her church and currently works with special education students as an instructional assistant for a school district in Nevada. Susan is a member of an author community in Las Vegas and enjoys hiking, baking, traveling, yoga, spending time with her goddaughter, and trips to the ocean. She loves the Golden Knight talkie team. Susan is originally from Thousand Oaks, California, and she now makes her home in the fabulous Las Vegas with her husband Gary and Siberian cat Angel Ann. Wow, Susan, that's a lot. Welcome to Phoenix in Flame.
0: Thank you. Thank you for having me today.
1: What a nice introduction that was. Awesome. Well, welcome aboard. Thank you
0: for having me.
1: You know, I you've accomplished so much. And generally, when I'm talking with someone, I'm very interested in, in kind of how it all started. And I was doing the math, and you received the diagnosis of bipolar 1 about 27 years ago. If I And I'm not great at math, but I think that's right. <laughs> People have to go through stuff for a while before they finally get diagnosed. I mean, usually it's a few years of trying to figure out what's going on with me. Something isn't quite right or something's causing me some problems. So if you wouldn't mind just kind of taking us back in time and helping us to understand what it was like for you and then sort of bring us forward.
0: Sure. Um, First, I'd like to explain what bipolar disorder is, if you don't mind just so that people understand, have some knowledge about it. Uh, Bipolar disorder, it's a mood disorder. It's a chemical imbalance in the brain, which causes euphoric highs known as manias, devastating lows to the point of suicide. This is a genetic illness and it is one that is treated with medication.
1: And I wanna add too that there's a difference between bipolar one and bipolar two. And Bipolar 1 is the Mac Daddy. That is the larger one that when people have to deal with, that's a lot harder. That's much more of a challenge. Not that Bipolar 2 is an easy ride by no means, but Bipolar 1 is, that's a lot to handle. It's a lot to deal with. And it really turns your life kind of inside out for a while until you can kind of get a grip on things, which is why I'm so glad you're here. Because I'm wondering, there might be someone out in the Phoenix and Flame community that is, walking this much earlier in their journey than you are now and trying to figure things out and really just wondering kind of what it was like for you as you were trying to navigate those waters.
0: So I got the diagnosis. I was on a cruise ship and I had just graduated college and I was with my friend and we ended up having this crazy weekend, Put primarily me being crazy I experienced my first uh, manic high on that weekend. I was doing all this crazy stuff. I'm dancing on tables. I'm drinking margaritas. I was never a drinker. I remember going th- down a water slide in 50 degree water, and people are like, "I think she's on drugs." I had never had taken a drug in my entire life. Wow. it was my birthday and I'm in the uh, I remember being in the dining room screaming somebody buy me a drink and I was up all night and I couldn't sleep and I had these racing thoughts and I'm writing in my journal while listening to vacuuming in the lobby and I felt like I could answer all the world's problems you just had to ask me I knew it all wow I looked into the mirror and I didn't recognize who I was or what was happening. After the cruise, my mother is a nurse. So she took care of my uncle who has bipolar disorder throughout his life. So she knew exactly what was going on. She knew that I was in, was experiencing mania.
1: Well, that was kind of nice to have someone so close to you that had the education i mean that's that was a benefit,
0: yeah, I consider myself a blessed bipolar because so <laughs> many people, as you mentioned, don't get that diagnosis very early,
1: right yeah, a lot of like we were saying earlier, a lot of people will struggle for quite a few years and lose their jobs and lose friendships and lose their marriages and and all kinds of stuff because everyone's blaming all kinds of things and the the diagnosis hasn't been made so that was great that your mom was able to see that
0: when you're in that state you're like ah there's nothing wrong with me why do i need to go to a doctor why would i i was very scared of hospitals there was no way she was getting me to go to a hospital there was no way i was going and so she was working Um, kind of in the medical field at the time. So she found a psychiatrist who agreed to treat me from his office as long as my parents monitored my medication. And I agreed to taking lithium. And my parents were with me during that scary time. When you're taking something like lithium, you don't know how your body's gonna react.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely.
0: It did the trick and I was... It made me even, and I was able to go on with my life.
1: How many highs, you know, episodes of mania did you have before you got on lithium?
0: Well, I can trace my bipolar back to when I was a child having anxiety. Uh, My mother would go to work and I would just scream and cry because she would leave me with my dad, who was a little more strict. So I would have anxiety about that. And then in junior high, I experienced paranoia for the first time, but I had no idea what was going on. I felt like girls were talking about me um, behind my back as I went into the library one day. It was a horrible feeling, but I didn't understand what it was at the time. Then I went to high school and I experienced depression junior year. I, I went to the beach. I loved the beach, California girl. Nothing made me happy. Nothing. My parents recognized that and they took me to my first psychologist. And we were able to work through, she called it taking off the dark glasses and getting through the depression. And then after that uh, came the cruise.
1: Okay. You know, I want to pause just a moment and just kind of talk about the depression side of things because it is so hard for people that are experiencing levels of depression because truly, like you're describing, nothing makes any difference. I mean, they, before, if they could go out and do something or they might be able to have an interaction with someone or exercise or something would perk their spirits or eating some kind of thing or whatever, but when they're experiencing depression it just feels like like you said that they got the dark glasses on like they're wrapped in some kind of a dark cloak and they can't find their way out and it's hard to explain to people that don't you know that have never experienced that and that's a frustration i hear a lot of times in my patients is just like they don't understand me they don't they just say well buck up you know what's what's your problem just you know here you go just put a smile on your face be thankful and it'll, you know, it'll all just go away. And, and they're just looking at me, shaking their head like, what? They don't, they don't get it. And that's so frustrating.
0: Yeah. Meanwhile, you can't get out of bed.
1: You yes. Like to do
0: anything.
1: And that's, that's hard to explain. But I, from my experience of working with people, it's like the, the uh, energy level is huge because it goes way, way down in depression. And just the thought of getting up and taking a shower is overwhelming.
0: And then unfortunately, suicide comes with that or thoughts of death. And I've been there before when um, dying felt easier than living.
1: Mm. How were you able to kind of fight your way through that and manage those feelings?
0: Definitely medication, uh, friends and family, and my faith.
1: You went through school. And so as you got on lithium, and how did that help you moving forward?
0: College was a nightmare. It was not the good times that I wanted it to be. It was not the independence. Um, I I went to five colleges in four and a half years. So it was a lot of change and the medication wasn't cutting it most of the time. But I had an amazing psychologist who adored me and I adored her and there was nothing she wasn't going to do to help me during that journey. And I graduated because of her help. And I was open to help. But at the same time, I was a 19 year old girl who wanted to do things my way, for sure. The stress sets off bipolar disorder. So because of all that stress, it just, it was a nightmare.
1: Mm -hmm. I'm so glad you had a therapist, you know, with you, a psychologist to walk alongside. And, you know, so if anyone is listening that is experiencing these frustrations, reach out, try to find someone, find a licensed therapist who can come alongside and understand and help you and give you that support.
0: And you also need that psychiatrist and mine worked as a team. It was a team effort.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Susan, how do you remember your relationships being impacted by your your mood of vacillations?
0: It was very, very difficult to have a relationship, but I had one great boyfriend during one of my colleges experience. And, you know, he was one of the reasons why I graduated for sure. And he was always there for me, but we kind of went our separate ways after college. And it was very hard to maintain friendships.
1: Definitely.
0: Mm-hmm. But I've had one friend who stood has stood by me my entire life. And she's been my sister, uh, non-judgmental, um, just listened. She's just a blessing to me. So I'm very grateful to have that and to have my husband.
1: Yeah, and you had you mentioned him and your Siberian cat, Angel Anne in your, in your bio. You
0: can see it's important, the snobby angel cat. Well, maybe the husband.
1: <laughs> oh, my gosh. So you have made such a journey. I'm just kind of referencing back to your bio, and you've accomplished so much. What do you credit really being able to go from such a struggle with significant you know mood fluctuations that take you from very highs and very lows of course you said you got a psychiatrist on board and a psychologist on board which gave you medication and also therapy which is so helpful but you still have to walk the walk you still have to go through your daily life and let me ask you this i know sometimes people that have bipolar 1 have a hard time taking the medication because what, from what I've been told that it really takes away the, the good times, the mania feels wonderful. Like you, you feel like you're on top of the world. Of course you could explain that much better than I could. And so I'm interested in, you know, what does that feel like? And then when you take the medication and that sort of takes that away, how are you able to continue taking the medication? Well,
0: I saw my life without the medication, uh, You know toxic relationship losing my job uh, losing pretty much everything and then i started taking the medication and i got my life back and i was able to live my dreams by working in a school uh, by having friends and living the life that i always wanted to so it was either be compliant take my medication learn self-care or not and not have a life so it's Mm -hmm. either black or white and like you were saying I get emails from families all the time well how can I help my son or daughter who won't take medication and it's heartbreaking I I just had to answer an email well I'm so sorry that I, I wish there were more words of wisdom but if your child is not open to taking the medication, it's, it's, it's going to be rough. It's going to continue to be rough. That's really hard.
1: It is. I mean, that's like, that's like the big question. How do you encourage someone who has bipolar one to take the meds? Because they just, they don't like losing that, that manic feeling that those times of great energy and feeling they've got the world by the tail and that's it. You know, once they can, take the medication, then everything, you know, you can't even really do therapy unless you're on medication.
0: I think for me, it was just hitting rock bottom for sure. When I lived in Virginia, absolute rock bottom. And then my parents SOS me here to Vegas.
1: Okay. Let me ask you this. Like when, when you were at rock bottom, which I imagine, like you mentioned earlier, are really thoughts of not wanting to be alive. Maybe even making active plans to take your life. I I don't know. You could share about that what you would like. But if there's some listeners out there that are experiencing that or have very close friends or relatives that are experiencing that, what are your words of wisdom on that? What helped you at that very, very dark place?
0: Uh, Encouragement from my parents to seek help, to reach out, to find, like you said, a psychologist and a psychiatrist, they were able to remind me that maybe I could find a husband. Maybe I could work in a school if I worked on myself and my health. Mm. So that for me was it.
1: That says a lot about you and your your personality, your ability to take that Take those words of wisdom and accept that encouragement and persevere and move forward. I can imagine there might be some individuals that just can't or won't.
0: Absolutely. And I've had those times in my life. I can't say that I was always compliant, that I always listened because I didn't, but I just think I got to a point where it's like, I, I can't keep going like this. I just can't do it anymore. You know, I was rolling in the bed, not being able to get out of it. Had to drink and sure I was on the wrong medication because I told a psychiatrist that I didn't have bipolar because I was in denial that I just had anxiety. So he was treating me for anxiety. So I was taking all this medication. I ended up getting down. To, I weigh about 140 and I got down to like 110 pounds. So people oh my goodness. thought I had anorexia and my parents ended at that point. That was rock bottom. They took me as I mentioned, here to Vegas. And at that point, I, I knew I needed help.
1: It's just amazing that you had parents that were there to help you. And I keep, I keep hearing you mentioning them along the way as just literal lifesavers for you. So I'm kind of wondering from your perspective and from someone who's walked that walk, what do you suggest to individuals out there who are going through something like this and they don't really have that good of a support system, maybe, maybe there's a lot of dysfunction in their family, and they can't really rely on their parents to help. What would you suggest might be a good place to turn a good thing to do for them for that support? If they're experiencing bipolar one symptoms?
0: I'd say friends, um, maybe finding them through, you know, I've found them all around my life, Um, definitely through church, I'm a toastmaster. I'm very good at making connections, but when you're in that state, you really don't feel like it. So again, what we keep saying over and over again, find a therapist, find doctors start there and they'll guide you as to where, you know, how you can get help, but you have to ask. And that's the hardest part. When you, when you're feeling like that, you don't want help from anybody. Mm-hmm. Things are never going to change. Now it's yeah. like being in this vicious cycle. It's like you're a hamster on a wheel.
1: Yeah. You've got a wonderful point is that, you know, okay, what's your choice? You're either going to continue that there's a, there's a quote that comes to my mind and I'm trying to think of who said it originally. And I don't, I can't think of it, but it was like, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always gotten. And it's, I didn't say that's not original to me. That's someone else's quote. I don't want to take credit for that. <laughs> Google it, Dana. We'll Google it. I know we can Google and see who said that originally, but I've heard it quoted so much. I think it's probably been repeated so much over the time that we don't even know who originally said it. But I mean, this is true. So it's like, you can just keep going and your life is going to, you're going to keep like, not be able to keep a job, which if you can't keep a job, how are you going to pay bills? How are you going to have a place to stay? You can't, your friendships are falling away because when you're experiencing bipolar one and you can like... Elaborate on this if you would like. Really, it's kind of like two different people, or I would say three. Like being in a close relationship with somebody with bipolar one is like being in a relationship with three different people in one body. Depending on their mood swing, they could be like that really energetic person that has all these wonderful ideas and they want to go do this and let's go do that. And let's, you know, they're a lot of fun, but they're also doing things that are really, really risky. And then you have the person in the middle who's not the high, the not the low. They're the rational person. And then you have the one who's really, really depressed. He won't get out of the bed for days and days and won't bathe. And all of those are in one body. And so when you're in a relationship with someone like that, it's kind of hard to navigate that because it's like being in a friendship with three different, very, very different people all in one body. So sometimes the friendships, like you mentioned earlier, fall away. I mean, do you feel like them describing that in a way that you remember, or do you think you would like to add something that's a little different from your perspective?
0: I agree with that. Um, but I also want to mention that a lot of people, or some people, end up homeless mm. for not seeking help. And also, jails, I believe, are a big problem with mental illness. Yeah, for sure.
1: That's a very, very good that's point.
0: What I was thinking when you were talking about, no, you're right on, you're spot on with the way that you're describing it.
1: Um, A lot of people will self-medicate because it's so hard. It's so freaking hard. There's not many people that understand.
0: Yep, that's right. My uncle, for example, he's kind of estranged from the family and became an alcoholic. He's been through divorces, hasn't been able to to work jobs, has been asking for money from family members. It's really sad to see the life that he's had and then to compare it to my life is apples and oranges. That's why I call myself the blessed by (laughs) four.
1: Well, you had your parents there, but you were also willing to go, you know, they could suggest it, but they couldn't force you. You know, you had something within yourself that you were able to, you know, make that appointment to go to see the psychiatrist. You showed up for the appointment. You, You filled the medication. You took it regularly. That was you. And seeking out a psychologist and going, making appointments, showing up for the appointments, doing the assignments, you know, all those things. That's something that you had to choose to do. Nobody else can make you do that. So that says a lot about your character.
0: Thanks. But there's a lot more besides self-care than just that. You know, I have to get sleep every night. It's eight to 10 hours. And I still like having fun. I live in Vegas and there's shows. So I have it planned where I have a driver, I have my husband, I have my, an Uber. I take my medication after the show and to make sure. I'm, I do everything I can. I try to eat right, that, but I love steak and chocolate, so I'm not walking away from that. <laughs> Exercise is key. I get too much. I work in a school with special education students, which is what I always wanted to do which I absolutely loved. I've done that 15 years. It's very, very rewarding.
1: It sounds like it
0: to have that stability every day. That routine is crucial. I get the exercise at work, but I also like to go to the gym and Mm -hmm. like in my bio, we talked about yoga. Yoga is key and having those supports from friends, which I've managed to make uh, through Toastmasters through church Author communities. Every way that I have that I can, I try to find connections. But I know that's hard for some people that are introverted. And since I'm ex, some, I'm a big extrovert. It's probably a little easier. For me.
1: But I hear you describing lots of different types of communities. And even if someone's an introvert, you know they could pick just one. Or a couple or maybe some that maybe they don't have to talk a whole lot or they can kind of, you know, just sort of be there with the other people without feeling like they have to engage verbally a whole lot. Because you mentioned quite a few different group things that you do um, that connect you with other people and put you in different communities. I think that's wonderful.
0: Yeah, there's also a lot of support groups, even online, I've noticed. If you just do a search for Google I you should see how many there's bipolar you know, disorder groups, and you don't even have. You could just do Zoom. You don't even have to leave your house to get that
1: support. Yeah, thank, I, thanks, COVID. I, that's one thing that that's one silver lining of COVID is we're all real comfortable with Zoom now.
0: We got PJs here, right, for for the interview today. <laughs> I love
1: it. It's, that is awesome.
0: There is no excuse for trying to you know put yourself out there and, and get help that's
1: how that's how i feel. Mhm. I like that and there's a lot of different things available. So if someone happens to be listening who is self-medicating, let's just put that out there and say that's not helping. That's just adding to the problem. Trying to put some things in place like you're talking different communities and different, you know, places that you can connect with where it's a psychiatrist, a psychologist, reaching out to support systems around you, That you don't have to be alone. A lot of us are in a situation where we couldn't do something by ourselves, but we have to intentionally reach out and activate, you know, find people that will help, which it sounds like that's what you've done.
0: Yes, for sure.
1: Now, you had some questions. Uh, Susan and I are both uh, members of uh, a group called Podmatch, talking about communities, by the way. And Podmatch is a wonderful, wonderful uh, podcasting community that I really love. And one of the things that we do on Podmatch is we put our bio on there, and we also put some questions that we are prepared to answer so that when we are a guest on someone else's podcast, they can go down and have some questions readily available that we're like, okay, I can answer that. I can answer these 10 things or these five things or whatever. And one of the things, Susan, that you had listed was, Says, do you have success living with a mental illness? It sounds like the answer is yes, but I would really like to hear more elaboration on that.
0: I think that I have success because I can work a job that's hard for people that don't have mental illness. So I can do things that are very, very difficult because. I'm compliant because I take my medication and the dream was to work with kids. The dream when I was a a little girl was to be a teacher. Mm. I grew up around teachers. I knew right away I wanted to be like my best friend's mom who unfortunately passed away, but she was a very, very special teacher. And so I think my friend and I, we wanted to be like her. And I went to college trying to be, trying to get a degree in elementary education and it just became too stressful. And that special psychologist told me, she's like, you're not going to make it as a teacher because of the stress level and bipolar sets off the stress. And that killed me. Mm. But she did say that there's many ways to work in a school in different capacities. And I was open to that. And so I began to work in the schools after college and and finally doing a job that I really, really enjoy working with those special ed students in the regular uh, classrooms, supporting them and supporting teachers. So my dream came true and also my dream of getting married and getting my MRS degree.
1: (laughs) (laughs) uh, That's awesome. I've never heard it worded that way before. That's cool. Oh, that's awesome. That's uh, that's appropriate, I must say. <laughs> a lot of effort and time goes into that.
0: <laughs> a lifetime. I mean, I was wanting you know a husband since I was playing the board game Life. You know, I mean, I had always dreamed of getting married, and I'm glad I had a couple chances before I met my husband. I'm so glad it didn't work out because it would have been disastrous. I met my husband when I was 29 years old, but I was very stable, very stable taking my medication and I was put together. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't broken, I wasn't sick and my husband accepted it. Right you know,
1: away. you. I wanna say that you are an example of what somebody can be even though they're struggling with a significant mental illness when they're compliant when they make that choice, and I and I was listening to what you were just saying, and what I heard from you was that, for example, when you were going through college, you learned a couple of things at, at a minimum. Th- that I heard was that you recognized when your stress level was too high. You acknowledged that, rather than just pushing on, even though the stress was going to exacerbate the mental illness symptoms you were able to acknowledge that you wanted to keep going, but the stress level was simply too high. And I know you said your psychologist kind of helped you kind of walk through that and accept that. I'm sure that wasn't an easy acceptance, but then you were flexible. You didn't just say, oh, well, I guess I just have to give up. You didn't think like in black and white, You, you were able to say, okay, I can't go this way and I'm gonna have to probably grieve that and have some sadness about not being able to go that way. But what else can I do? How can I be flexible and do something else? And that's awesome.
0: Yes, it's, you know, it's hard to to say, hey, you, you can't do this with your life. It, it sucks. Yes. Yes. But then you realize there are other things that you can do that will make you happy. Mm-hmm. You just have to keep an open mind.
1: Well, like when you mentioned your relationships and ending up with your husband, it's kind of like, sometimes we have to let go of something that we thought we wanted and we find out later that we actually get something that suits us much better. But we didn't know that at the time. No. The role of faith in your life, because I know that can be very important for different individuals and, and there's different journeys that people take on that. What did your role of faith or what did the role of faith do for you on your journey with bipolar one?
0: Um, I credit it to everything. It's why I'm here today. Um, I'm a Christian. I'm a Catholic. I know not everybody has those beliefs, but I think it's really important to believe in a higher being because that is what has gotten me through all the depressions, all the sad times, the happy times, uh, the stressors that I still have right now with aging parents. It has been my faith in a belief um, that, God loves me, that he walks with me, that he cares about me, and that he'll never leave me and that I'll never be alone.
1: Oh, I love that. So a somewhat hard question about faith would be for those individuals out there that that are kind of curious and they're kind of challenging. What would you say to them that that they would say, well, if God loved you so much, why would he allow you to get bipolar one to begin with?
0: Well, for me, I can help other people with it. I can help people that don't have bipolar disorder understand what it's like to have bipolar disorder. If you watch my TED talk, it is not a death sentence. This can be treated like people that have diabetes and take insulin. It can be that easily treated. So compare it to that instead of, you know, how how horrible it can be, and it can be. But And it's also hard with the medication. You have to be on the right amount mm-hmm. of medication because mm-hmm. you, if it's too much or not the right uh, cocktail, as I call it, you do. You feel sick. Who yeah. wants to feel that icky, slow, slowness, um, you know, groggy feeling? But if you work hard enough with a doctor that knows what they're doing, you can be able to find that even balance.
1: I like that. And really what I'm hearing from you too is there has to be, you have to commit. If you're working with a psychiatrist, it might be months before you're able to find the right medication. Like I love the word you use the cocktail before you actually find the right medication, the right dosage, the right mixture of medications and all their associated dosages. You, but the thing of it is, you know what? We are committing to something, whether we acknowledge it or not. So if we're either going to commit to getting better or we're going to commit to staying the same, or getting worse. Yes. So it's like whether or not, you know, we we don't have to say that out loud, but it, it's a choice. We're making a pattern of choices as a commitment. So you committed to working with a psychiatrist and going through those groggy, icky feelings of trying to find the right kind of cocktail. You could have given up. You could have said, screw this, I'm tired of this, I this isn't helping me, I'm not going to do this anymore. You could have said that, and a lot of people do, but you did not. You committed because you knew what was waiting behind the other door, and you didn't want what was behind the other door, is what I'm hearing you tell me.
0: For sure. And it's scary because you don't know what's behind the other door. There's question marks, for sure. You just have to trust trust in that higher being mm-hmm. God for me that he really does have amazing plans and you are here for a purpose every one of us is on this earth for a purpose
1: mm-hmm.
0: and yes. I don't think people realize that you know well why am I here you know I'm not any you know not any I, I don't contribute to society I think. Some people feel that way that I've mm. talked to.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and I can see how somebody, if they were just rolling around in their circumstances, how they would feel that they're not contributing because they haven't they haven't found the support structures, they haven't reached out, and they haven't done their own work. I mean, at the end of the day, you have to do some on your own. It's one thing to reach out and find people to support you, but like, look at all the stuff that you did. Like, you had to commit. You, you did have parents t- that helped you and all that kind of stuff. But again, they couldn't force the medication down your throat. Right. You, you're the one that made the appointments. You were the one that showed up for the appointments. You drove yourself there. You were the one that decided to hang in there whenever the cocktail wasn't exactly right. You know, so it's just kind of like once you do that, then amazing things can happen. And you're proof of that.
0: Thank you. Thank you. And my doctor, my psychiatrist refuses to work with people that do not take their medication. Yep. So it's, it's so important.
1: Yep. Well, and I'm the same way as a psychotherapist, you know, I, I, once in a while I run across somebody who is sort of playing at therapy or they want to, they want to be able to tell somebody else that so they went to therapy, but they don't really want to do the work of therapy. They just want to say they did. And I don't, you know, I'm not a big fan of that either but everybody's kind of at a different phase of their life they kind of have to be at that place where they're willing to commit and do it
0: yeah and you have to be open with with the therapist and the psychologist because they can only help you with how honest you are
1: Mm. you you can't
0: just tell them everything's fine or that you have to be completely on board committed like you're saying and open and honest in order to to receive the help and be willing to use the advice and the techniques that they give. I just learned about square breathing from my psychologist. So that has really helped me. It's just holding your breath for five seconds and then releasing out through your mouth, kind of like you're blowing out a candle Mm -hmm. for about three repetitions. And that's kind of my new strategy that I use during the anxiety. So there's always new things to learn. You just have to be open.
1: I will say this, and then I'm going to try to, to guide, make sure that I get our listeners guided toward how they can get more of you, Susan, and what you have to offer. Um, Cause you've just kind of whetted our appetite today with this, with this interview of all you have to share in your experiences and what you've learned and how you did it. And all this is just amazing when there's other people that have had the same diagnosis, but they can't get where you got. So, Talking about therapy, and we've brought that up several times, and I know I'm completely biased. I open that, I, I acknowledge that openly because I am one, but I say therapy is just an amazing, amazing place where you go and it's completely confidential. So you can, let's see, you can talk smack about everybody else in your life and they don't even know it because it's confidential. Let's just be honest about that. And sometimes you have to do that. Sometimes you got to talk smack about your spouse or your kids or your mama or your best friend because stuff's going on. Sometimes you have to just talk about it. But and when you're in therapy, you can be totally honest. It's totally confidential and it's judgment free. Any decent licensed therapist is going to provide that space for you that is safe, confidential and judgment free so that you can talk about all this stuff and get it out and have somebody with you to kind of find your way out of the dark. And it's just, it's just an amazing, I think we all need, I, I've been in therapy myself. We all, everybody needs a therapist.
0: <laughs> there comes a point when everybody needs to be sitting on that red couch yes, or whatever color you want. Yes. And it feels so good.
1: Feels 100%. So good. We all do because life is hard. You know what I'm saying? Okay. So Susan, let's see. I've got on the notes here that you have your website at S as in Sam, of course, name is Susan. So S Johnson author.com. Or is there yeah. some other place that you would like and, and tell, take a few minutes and just tell my listeners all about what you have to offer and how they can get to it and all that stuff.
0: Definitely that website is going to link you to my TEDx talk. It's 15 minutes. It's passionate. It's more about my story. It will bring education, faith, hope. Same thing with the book. Uh, You can find more information on the website, but you can go to Amazon. It's called Some Dreams Are Worth Keeping, a memoir, My Bipolar Journey you can read my blogs. I blog for BP Hope Magazine. And I believe I'm my, if you search me, I'm under my nickname, Susie Johnson, S-U-S-I-E. It's a great magazine. You can sign up for weekly, or I think it's weekly letters. You can read blogs, there's support there. It's awesome. I absolutely love blogging for that magazine.
1: Well, and you're, you've done it so much and you've gotten awards for it. So clearly you're very good at it. So that's awesome. Susan, I really appreciate you being able to, you know, spend your time being willing to come on Phoenix and Flame and share your story and your wisdom and your experiences with my listeners, because I feel certain there are listeners out there that are listening to the podcast that are like, I'm Susan oh my gosh, and I'm having a hard time finding my way out of this dark place. Let me listen to what she did, what was helpful to her. And there's no telling really how many people that you're going to be able to help on that journey. So Susan, thank you so, so much for being on Phoenix and Flame.
0: Well, it's been my pleasure. Thank you for letting me share my passion and my story. I want people to realize um, that things can get better if you hold on to hope and faith, and you never, never, never give up.
1: Awesome. Thank you. Well, listeners, take what you've heard today and blast it out on your social media platforms, whichever ones you prefer. You can copy and paste the link of the podcast interview and, and send it through text, send it through email. If you want to go to phoenixinflame.com, you can. Now, we're actually recording this toward the end of August, and I am in the process of revamping my website and social media sites and going to be offering some online boundaries courses, which are coming up, which I'm really, really excited about. So hopefully by the time this gets um, launched out, maybe that will be available. But the certainly follow all the places that Susan wanted you to go. And I thank you for spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. This is Dana on Phoenix and Flame.